being able to do basic things like advertise <laughs> has been a really big challenge. And probably not surprisingly, it's not an equal playing field out there. Like you see erectile dysfunction ads left, right, and center. And being able to, to advertise simple things like bacterial vaginosis are months and months of, of approvals. Welcome to The Irresistible Factor, a podcast where I talk to founders and investors and retailers about what it takes to launch successful brands, from developing a compelling proposition and brand identity, to raising capital, to getting distribution, and more. My name is Christy Bridges, and I'm a marketing expert with tons of experience and a true love for all things health and wellness. Welcome to today's episode of The Irresistible Factor. I'm really excited today because we have a very special guest. Her name is Monica Sepak, and she is the CMO of WISP, which is a women's healthcare company. Welcome to the podcast, Monica. I'm really excited to have you on. Hey, guys. Yeah, it's great to be here. Excited to chat. Thank you. And this is fun because this is one of my favorite and I think one of the topics that we talk about the least in general from a marketing perspective. So I I can't wait to hear what you guys are doing in the women's health space and sort of where you see it going. So why don't you just take a minute, give us a little bit of background on you and then also on WISP. Sure. So I joined WISP about a year ago as a chief marketing officer and have been in women's healthcare for a number of years now at, at different startups. Prior to making the switch into women's healthcare, I've always been attracted to disruptor brands that have a really strong mission. So I was one of the first hires at Lyft way back in the day. I also spent some time at Artsy, which is a dual-sided marketplace for fine art. The mission was to democratize the art world. And COVID hit and and sort of had a, a personal moment of reflection where I was thinking about where I wanted to spend the next 10, 20 years of my career and what were some of the biggest problems that I wanted to invest my time in solving and and really gravitated towards women's healthcare because there's still so much room for innovation and and ultimately impact as we improve access. So yeah, I can tell you a bit more about WISP. We are the largest provider of sexual and reproductive telehealth services in the country. We offer same-day prescriptions for common vaginal infections like UTIs, yeast infections, BV, um, herpes medication, and we'll actually send a prescription to your pharmacy of choice in under three hours, which is a really compelling value prop. And in the reproductive health category, also offer birth control, emergency contraception. And as of last August have launched medication abortion services in nine states where it's legal. So our, our mission is ultimately to destigmatize sexual health care once and for all and empower women to take control of their health care on their terms. So that first of all, it's an amazing mission and also interestingly timed, right? Because you guys are doing this at a time when a lot of people are trying to take that away. And so I think that's really interesting and makes it even more important to have companies like yours that are out there for people. How do you do, I'm curious to know, so you talked about prescriptions in three hours. How does that work? Can you talk about how that works? Because that feels like a real advancement and something that has been a huge challenge. Like you have something wrong, you need to get a doctor's appointment. It takes five days. And then by that time, you just feel really, really bad. So how does that work for you? Yeah. So our process is really quite simple. Patients 
can fill out a, a quick online consultation form on our website. And then we have a medical professional evaluate that information. And, and it's that doctor or nurse practitioner that ultimately delivers the prescription. And for, and for patients who have recurring symptoms, like herpes, for example, the chronic BV, um, they can opt into a subscription service and will deliver the medication on a quarterly basis. Oh, interesting. So what was the, you know, talk about the history of the company. How did it come to be? Who's behind it? How long has it been around? All those things. Yeah. So we were founded in 2018 at a time where our founder was was actually struggling with a herpes outbreak and didn't know how to access care quickly and realized that there was a, a really big opportunity in the market to do things better. Obviously, when COVID hit, we saw a pretty big hockey stick moment of growth as consumers more broadly started adopting telemedicine as the, the sort of de facto and preferred, quite frankly, method of receiving care, right? Like we're, we're sort of positioned to deliver care in the most convenient and fast manner. We, we are looking though long-term to really broaden our scope of care into sort of a more hybrid system where we can deliver care at all points a patient's like care journey. That includes diagnostics, in-person clinics, right? Like we can't at this moment in time help you with your annual pap smear, but that's something that we're working on because care is 360. And in some ways, COVID was great because, you know, you, you saw a lot of point solutions enter the market very quickly, but long-term, I think we'll see consolidation because consumers don't want to have to go to five different companies to receive care. The, the players that consolidate those services under one roof are the ones that I think will, will ultimately win. And, and that's what our ambitions are, but ultimately to be the one-stop shop and go-to brand for all things sexual and reproductive health care. So you started the company in 2018, and it's only 2023, and you've had some pretty, sounds like explosive growth. Mm -hmm. uh, is that right? Would that be a good yes. way to it? We had explosive growth. We've doubled the business essentially year over year. We are also profitable as a business. We took a, a very measured approach to growth, have since started investing more in that top of funnel and, and brand awareness. But yeah, like our profitable are, are growing at a, a really rapid pace because I, mean, I think that speaks volumes to the demand there, there is in the market, right? There are so many women. Who didn't even know, right? That like, I was going to say, yeah, pent up demand, not just did. demand. Yeah, just pent up. Like, how am I going to deal with this stuff? Like, everyone was dealing with it in such a crazy, private, scared way, right? And, and there's still so much education, right? Like, we have a product that helps women delay their period. I don't think most people know that that's an option, right? <laughs> like, yeah. you, yeah, it's called Northendron. If you have a really big event coming up, your wedding, for example for a trip, you can get Northendron with us and, and stop your period. And there are many products like that where there's just like such a lack of awareness. And they, they disproportionately affect marginalized and underserved communities, right? Like BV disproportionately affects Black women. And we're, we're doing everything we can to, to sort of 
partner with um, communities at large to, to be able to bridge that gap. We are 100% cash pay business. Oh, okay. Because we felt it was from an access perspective and serving those underserved communities really important. Anyone would be able to receive care. But what is interesting is that the majority of our patients actually do have insurance. They just prefer to work with us because it's cheaper than a copay and faster. Because on average, it takes anywhere from 20 to 30 days to get like an in-person doctor's appointment. And most women know what it feels like to have a UTI. You don't need you don't need a doctor to tell you what it, what that feels like. So we're we're cutting the the time really drastically. Not even in half, but uh, a tenth. How did you get the word out initially? How did people find out about you guys? We spent a, a lot of our initial marketing dollars on Google, obviously mm-hmm. from a search perspective, and we also partnered with a number of sexual health influencers on social. So we over-indexed on on that community aspect. We wanted to be an authentic brand. And to do that, we we really had influencers try our products and and let them be sort of the voice of the brand from a testimonial perspective. Mm-hmm. And, and since then, we've we've expanded into top of funnel channels, like I mentioned. We launched CTV a few months ago. We're starting to do more out of home, which has been an interesting challenge because we often get our content locked, right? Because we get told, oh, yeah, we're not family friendly. You can't say the word vagina. And so we've fought very hard to, to push through those, those boundaries. And just a few weeks ago, I actually had a, a billboard in Times Square run that said, we love healthy vaginas. And that was a really big win for us because, you know, they were hours and hours of conversations where we were really just trying to use the the term in its like medical form. And that's how we destigmatize the space is is by changing the vernacular and making words like vagina, abortion, part of our everyday language. Yep. Yep. Talk about your challenges. What's been the biggest challenge for you since you've gotten there? Is it I mean, I could, I could guess some things, but you talk about what, what you think the most challenging things have been so far. Well, to my previous point, being able to do basic things like advertise has been a really big challenge and probably not surprisingly, it's not an equal playing field out there. Like you see erectile dysfunction ads left, right, and center and being able to to advertise simple things like bacterial vaginosis are months and months of, of approvals. So from a time efficiency standpoint, it's, it's tough. There's a lot of back and forth. We spent months going back and forth with Hulu on our TV spot, finally got, got it approved, even though it was watered down. So I think from a marketing standpoint, it's really hard to cut through given the content that we are trying to, to promote. And it's educational content at the end of the day. The other challenge, I think like rising cost of, of media, that's something that, that everyone is, is dealing with. We are a smaller brand. And so in some ways it's, it's harder to compete with the hymns and hers when their quarterly budgets are right. What we spend in a year. So what we've done to sort of, meet that challenge is, is we have to be that like 
that much more creative. So if you look at our creative, we lean, lean into humor a lot. We don't shy away from those hard conversations and are able to cut through the noise that way. And also partner with, like I said before, really incredible influencers in this space who lend legitimacy to, to our brand. And I think the, the third challenge that I would mention is product development. We, we want to always meet the market um, with new and innovative products. One example of that is last year, last summer, we launched a product called OMG Cream. It's prescription strength, female arousal cream, and it's, it's now one of our top selling products. So we want to do more of that. We want to lean into the, the space with products that also help women from a sexual pleasure perspective, because it's not, it is part of your sexual health and there's still a lot of stigma mm-hmm. around pleasure. So we're, we're developing, we're looking at ways to develop that as a, as a product line. And then long-term also looking at different verticals, such as fertility, postpartum, menopause, to really tie that journey together for the end patient, right? There's so many point solutions, very fragmented space, but bringing everything together under one roof is a really compelling um, value prop. I have a question for you. You said some of the things are challenging just to get approvals on from networks and Hulu and things like that. That's because you're dealing with pharmaceutical drugs or is it really because it's women's products and their people are just not comfortable with that language versus men's, which everyone seems perfectly comfortable with? Yeah, no, I would say it's because it's a female health product. Anything to do with female pleasure actually is strictly prohibited. New York City subway system, there's a clause in their terms and conditions, which is crazy. They specifically female? Any any type of sexual pleasure. Okay. But if you've taken the subway recently in the past year or so in New York, you will see the male equivalents being advertised in creative ways. Okay. So definitely double standards. And, and it's something that like, we've had to lean in from an education perspective and, and really educate our partners that we are using these terms from a medical perspective right. and ultimately just want to increase access to better care. We're not, this isn't for shock value. This isn't like, yeah. you know, to make people upset, but we, some other like ways to get around it is like you can use euphemisms or misspell the words instead of saying orgasm on meadow, we'll say the big O. And like the AI the algorithm like won't pick up on it. So like we've we've been creative with how we get around um, the system. Mm-hmm. Oh, that must be challenging. And then talk about the challenges of this particular moment in time being a women's sexual health company, a health company. Like it feels like it must be even harder than it. It already feels harder than it should be just because of all the stigmas that you talked about, but it must be um, even harder than that right now. It is. And I feel like every other week there's a new development in this space. And so we have to be nimble and flexible enough to be able to pivot. A few weeks ago when we thought that, you know, Mifepristone would be taken off the market completely, we were ready to to shift our entire medical protocol to misoprostol only Mm -hmm. and had been planning to for months. And then it didn't happen. And so we pivoted back. And so there's just a, a lot of flexibility 
And a lot of, I'd say also planning ahead, we're looking at advanced provision as a product category as well, so that women would be able to keep the abortion pill in their medicine cabinet, sort of from like a preventative perspective. Mm-hmm. And so I think we we have to stay one step ahead. There's been a lot of great partnership in the movement. And so we work very closely with brands like Plan C and, and others because you know, we, we all recognized early on that we're much stronger together and we need to ban like our resources and voices together to, to really make an impact. But yeah, there are challenging times for sure. Like I feel like every day I, I read the news and just continue to be <laughs> baffled at, at the state of reproductive rights in our country. And so we will, as a brand, keep fighting and, and doing the right thing for our patients. Do you guys deal with a lot of do you deal with a lot of the, the, I don't want to say haters, but hate, like the people who are like, do you get a lot of backlash when you advertise, when you talk to people outside of your company? Like, does that happen? Yeah. Yes. (laughs) We do a lot of street teaming in Volva costumes. It's a really great way to start a conversation. And depending on, on where we're street teaming. Florida is a great example. You know, we, we've had some hard conversations. Those are conversations like we don't shy away from. And we've also had, when we launched the medication abortion offering a year ago, like we had some patients who said, sorry, like we're going to leave, leave WISP. And, and we were conscious yes. of those risks going into it. But for us, it was about doing the right thing and standing by women. And so we were willing to take that risk. Talk about your growth plans for the brand. Yeah, so I think from a a growth perspective, we're continuing to invest strategically in brand awareness. Those are longer term investments. We've invested in CTV, streaming audio. We actually did a a big buy with Call Her Daddy, which is like, you know, the number one podcast on Spotify at the moment. We're investing in out of home in-person events. And, and I think longer term, we, we also want to work with a chief impact officer, a celebrity who will help us just reach an even greater level of, of awareness and, and help us also from a mission standpoint, product development standpoint, lend their brand to our cause. And that's one way that we we are hoping to, to continue to, to put WISP on the map, but it's, it's a slow burn, right? Like we are profitable. And so we don't have the luxury that like, a, you know, some of the other brands with hundreds of millions of, of dollars in Pete, like funding yeah. had when they started that they could just go in and, and sort of like blanket the marketplace from an awareness standpoint. And so we're doing it backwards, but that, that actually means that we're more financially stable. Yeah. Um, I would say that's not backwards right now though, given the current environment and capital raising. I mean, I think that there's a lot of regret on the part of some of who got really fast early investments and and still weren't profitable and then couldn't make it work. So. I mean, I was part of, I was part of that story at Lyft. I remember those budgets. I remember like spending millions of dollars, like on out of home, here in New York and like nobody really questioned payback yeah. like and obviously stock prices reflecting that so exactly exactly and the world has changed so much even in the past six months just with the economy 
Do you guys, have you been part of a capital raise there or do you see one in your future or is that not part of the plan? It's not part of the plan at the moment. So we're in a unique position because we only raised a few hundred thousand dollars in friends and family round and then were acquired by a publicly traded company out of Canada called Well Health. Mm-hmm. They took a majority stake in our business last October. And so, you know, I think our, our future is is still TBD, whether we um, join completely or yeah. go the IPO route, we're, we're sort of still figuring that out. So what about from a marketing perspective? Just talk about some of the challenges. I mean, I know budget is probably the biggest one, right? You guys are up again. You mentioned hers and hims. But what else from a marketing perspective has be feels challenging for you? The the healthcare space at, at large, right? And and HIPAA compliance. That's something that we feel very strongly about protecting our, our patients' privacy. We, for example, turned off all tracking or abortion specific landing pages. However, the, the flip side of that is that you're then not able to access and um, advertise to as many people in, in sort of right. a targeted way. Yeah. And so it's a it's sort of a a catch 2022 20, and there are challenges from a data perspective in in a in a way that like retail brands or other DC brands like don't really have to worry about. Right. And so their funnel is is much more mature because they can really target people with more personalized messaging. So for example, in order to remain HIPAA compliant, um, if we know that a patient purchased birth control from us, we can't then use that information to recommend Something other else. products. Yeah. We can recommend like product categories more broadly, but specific to that individual purchase, we can't. And so from, you know, as a marketer, you you have all these dreams of, of personalization and, and all of the, the different pathways. And we just have to be a little bit more creative with, with how we remain compliant and also reach our patients with the right message and the right products. It's interesting because you are going direct to consumer but you're not a CPG company. You're more like a farm. You are a farm company. And I mean, you're prescribing medicine. So you have to, so you're talking like in a really casual, I want to connect with you women friendly way, but you can't do it to the degree that you could if you were. Yeah. So that must be challenging. Yeah. And within this space, there are just a lot of regulations, right? Like uh, each yeah. individual ad platform has their rules. So on TikTok, you can't talk about STDs, but you can on Meta. And then like there are things you can't talk about on Meta. Uh, and then you can on, on TikTok. So we sort of have to navigate each in its own right. Same with, with Google. Yeah. They have very specific regulations. So just forces us to be nimble, creative, scrappy with our approach and, and partner with influencers who can also be the voice of our brand on yeah. our behalf. Interesting. I mean, it makes the influencer program that you guys probably do more important than it might be for other brands who can say whatever they want, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like it's really smart to go that route. Yeah. And it lends legitimacy also to our products, Mm -hmm. right? Because they've tried it. They they can actually speak to their own personal 
experiences. So it's it's been a, a pillar of our growth strategy and will continue to be a really big one. If you were going to tell, give advice to people, and you could, we could talk about it from a straight marketing perspective, we could talk about it from a women's health perspective. What would you tell people who were were a few years behind you, especially about this category where there still is a lot of stigma and a lot of people are uncomfortable? What kind of things have you learned along the way that you you could share? I think one of my biggest key lessons and, and takeaways is to not stop fighting. Like if we had had some of those initial conversations and just took no at face value, like we wouldn't be here today. Like, and so my advice would be push, don't shy away from those hard conversations, get your legal team involved because there is a way. And, and like, it might take longer than you expected, but ultimately our mission is so important to women all across the country that we, we've just, never stopped fighting. Same for abortion today. And so I would say, roll up your sleeves. It takes a lot of grit, but it's really rewarding work because you you see the impact you have on, on people's lives. Like I read our, we have like a live trust pilot review Slack channel. And I, I just, I'm always so inspired by, by the patient testimonials that come through because you, you do make a significant impact on, on someone's life. You know, we get things like you saved my, my wedding. You know, I, I finally feel comfortable, you know, going on dates as somebody who struggles with herpes, like you're empowering women in a meaningful way. That's really awesome. I want to ask you about just in general, not just the women's health, but being at a company that's that's smaller than some of the big, like forget about big pharma, right? Cause you guys are, are small, small. Big pharma. but you are sort of competing in a way because you're, you're able to give people solutions to health problems that are prescription based. Yeah. I would, I often say that our, our secret sauce is our creative. We have an incredible in-house creative team. We've partnered with influencers and and other creators um and our creative cuts through the noise like once you see one of our tv spots like you will never forget it (laughs) we invest a lot in creative because for us that's a competitive advantage we are still scrappy and nimble enough whereas the larger you get it's much harder to iterate on creative that quickly and like feed the beast of some of these algorithms like TikTok, Meta. And so we we test and, and learn a lot, um, which comes as a byproduct of, of our like creative team and the velocity with which we're able mm-hmm. to test. Yep. What's the most successful platform for you guys? Is there one that stands out? In terms of like pure revenue, ROAS, it's, I'd say Google. Um, just from a, a volume perspective, but we recently invested in a platform called Rockerbox, and they are a multi-touch attribution platform. So they help us look at all of the different different user pathways yep. to help inform a like a more nuanced picture of all of those different touch points. It actually takes before a final conversion happens, and we see. TV popping popping up there as as one of our one of the key touch points in our, our top conversion pathways. Streaming audio, TikTok has been 
a really big channel for us. We've invested heavily from a organic and paid perspective because I think people are, are actually now turning to TikTok instead of Google. I do too. For, for, right? for informational content, for medical content in particular, more you see doctors more and more on TikTok, like helping to combat misinformation. And, and there's that like engagement that, that is so in, inherent to a video that you mm -hmm. don't get by just reading an article on Google, for example. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I think it's so wild what a, and also scary in a way because anyone could go on TikTok and give information. Yeah, they do. That's <laughs> the flip side. That's the danger yes. because how do you vet the information? Yeah, that you're you're watching and like from a paid perspective, there's a lot of vetting by TikTok, but from an organic perspective, like right. much less so. Yeah, like the abort a lot of abortion providers get banned left, right, and center. Um, but there's a lot of other content that, yeah, like TikTok, depending on their mood that day, will allow from an organic perspective. Yeah, and so I think they're still figuring their healthcare policy out. <laughs> Every, I, everything changes so fast. Like it's wild to me. It's, I just, it's so different than being a marketer 10 years ago when you had a handful of places where you could show up. Now there's so many and they're all very different. The rules don't yeah. apply platform by platform, like you said. So I think that makes it really challenging from a marketing. Yeah, yeah for sure. And, you know, just keeps us on our toes. We are looking for you know, we've considered gone back and forth on retail for some of our OTC products, yeah. like pH balancing body wash, lube, yep. acid, things like that. So long-term, you know, potentially we make a retail play, but still up in the air. There's a lot of time and investment that goes into that compared to some of the other priorities we have. So yeah, everything sure. is, you know, I have one more question for you that I think is a really interesting hot topic at the moment. And you mentioned okay. awareness and top of the funnel, which I think is really awesome. But a lot of brands right now feel like they can't even think about top of the funnel and they're uber focused on conversion. And, you know, there's the, I mean, I, my point of view is they're both really, really important and conversion forces you to be a company that is a price-driven, deal-driven company if you don't have the relationship part that's working mm -hmm. for you. So what's your point of view on that? Like when you have limited dollars, how do you how do you decide to spend anything in the top of the funnel? Yeah, I I think it's important to like treat the funnel like a funnel. Yeah. Um yes. like a, a one, you know, unified funnel. I'd say that first because top of the funnel investments, if they work as they should, drive efficiency, the bottom of the funnel through branded search. And so that's that's the relationship that we've seen. And so when we look at our month and our quarter, everything blends out because you know, maybe the, the ROAS for a CTV buy didn't look great in like a one-week snapshot. But when you look at the, the overall quarter in the year, you you see the long-term impact of those investments on branded search, direct traffic. And then we use tools like Rockerbox to to also understand the relationship and the touch, you know, between all the touch points across channels. Um, so I'd, I'd say like with limited budgets, like you have to understand what works best for your brand, right? Is your target audience 
more apt to engage with like a billboard on a highway or an ad they see on Hulu. Like, I think it all comes down to your target audience and how to reach them in the most effective way based on their content consumption patterns. Mm -hmm. So you really need to know your audience to be efficient with spend more broadly speaking, but especially with brand spend. And what do you guys do to make sure you're staying really connected to that audience and really understanding where they are and what they're doing and what they're looking for? Yeah. So we, we talk to our patients a lot. So we have quarterly surveys, focus groups, and, and always make sure to have a finger on the pulse, the feedback we're getting from our patients. We also talk to other brands and, and marketers and in the space to, to understand what's working for them. But I, I think we've, we've definitely done a good job of um, identifying what those core channels are. Yeah. And have invested and have taken risks because quite frankly, when we first started investing in TikTok, like we were not ROAS positive mm-hmm. for a while, yeah. but intuitively I knew that like our audience is on TikTok. Yeah. So for us to not be there would be yep. like a really big miss. Yeah. Um, so I think you, you also have to be willing to take some risks and then evaluate them over a longer time horizon because it's not like it's something you're going to test in a week. Yeah. Awesome. That's great to know. Anything else you feel like we missed that you want to touch on? Mention your website. I want you to forget that because I want people to be able to figure out. How to yes, exactly. So we encourage everyone to check us out at hellowisp.com. Please also follow us on TikTok, Instagram. I promise the content will not disappoint. We actually just <laughs> went viral for a video we did on herpes with with an influencer. We have like over a million views at the moment. So like, and I, and I would encourage everyone to, yeah, give us a try next time you have a trip coming up or, you know, get stuck with a UTI and like the most inopportune moment, like we'll be able to to help you out in, in three hours or less. We're available in all 50 States. And at the end of the day, really just want to serve women and help them get access to care. Awesome. And, and yeah, in a more meaningful, efficient way, because let's be real, we're, we're all multitasking. We have so much going on. And it, it should be, should be a lot easier than it currently is today. Oh, for sure. I think it's awesome. <laughs> I really do. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about it. Well, thank you, Christy, for inviting me. Thank you for listening to The Irresistible Factor. I'm Christy Bridges, and I can't wait to see you next Wednesday.